everyone to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. For those of you that are new to our show, I'll just give you a little bit of background. Um, bottom line, I got in this space because my mom had dementia for 30 years, so I get it. Um, what I didn't get was a lot of um, sharing of knowledge back in the day. And that's the whole reason I created Alzheimer's Speaks was I just thought we have got to share the knowledge of where the resources are, what's working, what's not working. And so um, we've got a blog, we've got a website. We created uh, Alzheimer's Speaks Radio to raise everyone's voice. And that means the person diagnosed, that means the family supporting them, that means the business professionals out there, that means singers and songwriters and movie directors and researchers, all of us have a huge impact on how this disease pushes forward in the future. And so I, um, I still love my job because I truly do think that we are moving mountains um, by having these everyday conversations. And um, here, you know, at Alzheimer's Speaks, we are just bottom line an advocacy-based company that provides multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. We're also known as a media outlet um, for businesses and individuals as well. So if it's poetry or if it's a product, it doesn't make any difference. Um, if it's dealing with dementia, we want to know about it. Um, again, uh, by sharing knowledge, it's just such a basic thing. I think sometimes that we, we forget the power um, that we have because sometimes we get sucked into we don't know enough but we all know more than somebody else and we all know less than somebody else and that's never ever going to change in life in general so please share your knowledge if you hear a tip share it if you have a tip share it um, because that's how we improve things. We, we really believe in collaboration is really the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I can tell you, I know it's working. Thanks to each and every one of you. You see your likes, your shares um, with, with your spheres, if it's your Pinterest peeps or your Facebook friends, or if it's your Twitter tribe or your LinkedIn colleagues, when you push out a radio show, a blog, um, a podcast, Post from one of our pages on our website, our Dementia Chats interviews, you are pushing it out to people in need. And not everybody in our own sphere has even admitted that there is a need or acknowledges it. Um, some people are in denial. Um, and like with most people, they're not going to grab that information until they're ready. But we all feel more comfortable when we see our problem being voiced and other people dealing with it. So um, again, thank you so much because you just got us recently recognized by 
uh, Oprah Winfrey um, in the All Magazine this month as a health hero for 2014. And, and that, that I share with all of you because that is not about me. That really is about all of us working together and joining voice. So, so thank you all so much um, for helping raise uh, Alzheimer's awareness and dementia awareness uh, to its fullest. I also want to give a shout out to a couple of uh, companies that you may or may not know of. One is called the Alzheimer's Alzheimer's uh, Research and Prevention Center. They're very holistic um, based and they just have great information. Uh, so you might want to check them out. There's also a new magazine on the market called uh, the American Senior Magazine. And I love it because, you know, I'm pushing 60 now. So it's got big print and great articles and really diverse um things to engage you from from puzzles and, and things like that in there. But um, great, great articles. Um, also, the Call Alert Center, which I think is just a fabulous tool. If you've got anybody with dementia, you know, you never know when somebody could wander off until they've wandered off. And this, um, this system is very economical to use. You can set it up ahead of time. And if there's a problem, they will basically do social media blasts and work with the police um, and get this out here really like in 10 minutes from when you call, literally. Um, so check out the Call Alert Center. You can find um, all of the um, companies that I just mentioned on Alzheimer's speaks.com. Well, let me get uh, to uh, the meat of the matter today. I am really excited uh, to have this author with us. There's a new book that you're going to want to read, and it's called The Dementia Concept, and it is by Joshua uh, Freitas, and he is an award-winning memory care program developer, a researcher, and now an author. Um, he um, he is also working on a second book called, um, that's going to be released called Joining Grandma's Journey. And it's going to be a book to really help young adults better understand dementia. And I can't wait till that one comes out either. Um, Joshua is currently uh, a doctoral student and he's focusing on transfer um transformative uh, gerontology and aging neuroscience, which is such a need. And we need more and more people in this field uh, because of the, the numbers of us that are getting dementia and aging. So welcome, Joshua. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you very much, Lori. Well, thanks for being with us. You know, I met some of your cohorts when I was speaking down in uh, Florida in Boca Raton, and um, I just thought they were absolutely fabulous with some great concepts. And they said, you've got to talk to Joshua. You just have to. <laughs> and so um, it took us a little while to connect, but I'm, I'm so glad that we, that we have um, been able to do this uh, show. Now, before I, I get into our line of questioning, I always like to ask my guests if they have been personally touched with family or friends uh, with dementia. Um, yeah, so being a music therapist, I actually got into this uh, line of work working with people through music, and uh, it opened so many doors, and eventually I joined a company where I worked with a gentleman named Alan, and um, he was a younger man with Pick's disease, which is a, a form of frontal temporal dementia, 
And um, he was a man that um, was a mentor for me, but it was really great to go to work and see him. Um, I learned a lot from him. He used to read my papers for school. Uh, he used to, we used to go to Dunkin' Donuts all the time. He'd pipe, uh, type in the GPS and then noticing how fast the decline was with fixed disease. And also seeing the opportunity to see people as people. And oftentimes you would go out and people would automatically, as soon as they knew that he had dementia, treat him differently. So it was a great opportunity for me to see that this person didn't change in my eye and it shouldn't change for other people. We need to focus on people as people. Um, so that's really um, just one of many stories that kind of rippled throughout the past few years that made me fall in love with the field of dementia and see that it's, it's kind of a... Um, it's a growing population that we need to focus on and know that it's a different way of living. And if we can help educate more people, I think that the quality of life for those with dementia will be better. And I think we'll be able to communicate and live um, in harmony with people with dementia so much easier. Um, it's just about education and awareness. Um, I totally, totally agree. Um, you know, I really want to talk about your book today. And, and one of the things that I always like to have the authors describe, if possible, is the kind of the layout of the book. So people know what to expect. Um, and, and why did you lay it out the way you did? Sure thing. So um, it's not got extra, extra stuff in it. I was reading a lot of books on dementia. I was just noticing that there's so much extra stuff in there. So I wanted to give tangible tools you could walk away with. So I built it on three easy concepts, understand, connect, and engage. The first section is truly understanding dementia, how it's a different way of living, and knowing that there's over 100 different conditions that cause dementia, and each one is very different. Lewy bodies and Alzheimer's need to be treated differently. Um, the second section is connect. It's how you connect with the person. Um, simple things like knowing to introduce yourself to the person, simply saying, hey, mom, it's me, your son, Josh will automatically orient them to their environment and let them know who you are versus having them struggle. So it gives you those walkaway tools to be able to start connecting right away. And then the last section actually talks about um, the engagement aspect of things. If you engage somebody in a good quality of life, you do see a complete change in that person. Their skills and abilities stay for a longer period of time. They're more engaged. Um, just simple things like knowing that um, that they were a pilot all their life and really digging into their past history. And then throughout the process of writing the book, I was pulling all this research. And it was so cool to see all the research that's been produced when you know somebody, how you care for them differently. So taking that aspect and putting it into memory care, I think makes a big impact to really know the person before their disease. So it's laid out as uh, understand, connect, and then engage. So it's a walk-away book that you can just walk away and have tools that you can implement right away. Well, and that's fantastic because people do not have a lot of time to, you know, try to sit down and figure it out. It needs to be practical information um, for them to be to be able to um, apply in the day to day, you know, life that is constantly <laughs> changing. Um, why don't you tell our audience what you feel are the biggest obstacles today in dementia care? Sure thing. Um... To be honest, I feel like we're, we're stuck kind of in this medical reductiveness where we, we still see the person with dementia as other. Um, and what we really need to see is see the person as a person. Um, it really does change the way we approach that person. Um, so often, you'll, you'll, 
you'll um, notice that once somebody notices that they have dementia, they start treating them differently and there's really no need. Um, yes, there might be some limitations, but really embrace the person in any aspect. Um, I always tell anyone I ever work with, if you're buying a car or if you're buying a house, include the residents you work with. Um, sitting down with them, review the houses that you're looking at or the cars you're looking at, the prices. And all of a sudden, you start to see this click and the human aspect comes and it's, uh, you're overpaying for this or does it have a septic tank? Um, and to really gap that and make connection is so important. And I think the biggest obstacle that I see in care is being able to connect to the person before their disease. And I think if we could um, find ways to do that between caregivers and people with dementia, I think it would drastically change the industry. And there is a lot of stuff going on that's changing, kind of a culture change that's going on with those things. Um, but I feel like we could move it a little bit faster um, if we created some more tools where we could really get to know that person and care for them uh, more effectively. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, do you feel that there is a big, you know, uh, a big difference between how professionals approach uh, a person with dementia and a family? I, I do think so. Um, the families are oftentimes going through a lot of different things. So they're seeing their loved one change. Um, and sometimes they don't have all the tools at their fingertips. A lot of professionals will have a lot of training um, extensively. However, oftentimes they're in the, um, the professional capacity, so they don't have as much time to actually have that personal connection. And I always say, try to embrace that personal connection. If you know your loved one was funny, humor stays with them throughout most of their, their di diagnosis. So really tapping into that. Um, the, there's a big opportunity, I always say, when, when you're working with somebody with dementia, you want to have a holistic approach where everybody's part of that. Um, so I do see a different approach between professionals and caregivers, um, but I think it's needed in different realms, but I think that they can complement each other quite well. Um, what I do wish that I could see more of is, um, you mentioned it earlier on the introduction, was collaboration. Mm -hmm. I feel sometimes the healthcare industry is so focused on tasks and getting things done and checking the box because we're so regulated, is that sometimes we forget to sit back and just have a conversation with somebody. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see, I would love to kind of see this step back and to really sit down with families. And you don't see it that often is to be able to sit down with a family two or three days before a loved one may move into a, either a nursing home or assisted living or even a home care to really get to know what the family needs to deliver that type of care. And um, oftentimes people, they have one document, they fill it out and they think that it's going to be okay. We're going to keep going. Also, I always tell people that be flexible. Um, and communication is so important, so collaborating. Um, so really try to slow down with dementia care and communicate mm -hmm. um, with each other and collaborate. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, when I look at that whole um, personal versus professional um, care partner, I think they, they both have so much to learn from one another. Like you said, the, the professional probably has more of the techniques, but the families have the insights in terms to, you know, the emotional and, and psyche of the person, likes and dislikes. Um, yet the family, um, the family sometimes needs to step back and detach like the, like the professional is able to do because they don't have that history. 
um, because I, I see so many families struggling with, oh, they're just doing this to get my goat, you know, <laughs> and it's like, it has nothing, nothing to do with that, but we go there, you know, we think somebody's pushing our buttons purpose, purposefully, and, and that's not always the case, so what types of suggestions would you have for, for family caregivers? Certainly. Um, I would tell family caregivers, um, I always refer to the disease as a journey, which I know many people in the industry are starting to use that terminology. And you really got to be flexible and move with them. Um, we're always changing. Uh, somebody with dementia is just changing at, at a different pace. Um, so I say, uh, just go along with it. Sometimes if, if they make a mistake or something, a fact isn't correct, you don't have to correct them. Just kind of go along with it. Um, I, always, I always refer to it as quilting a conversation where you stitch that conversation together and keep it going. But you don't want to keep correcting them. Um, you, want to, you want to keep moving and also continue educating. Um, there's so much fascinating research, uh, especially in the behavioral realm. Um, for families, for example, um, knowing somebody with dementia will wander in the direction of their dominant hand, for example. If you have a loved one at home and knowing that little piece of information, if one day you wake up and your loved one's not there, you know if they go at your front door, they're going to go in the direction of their dominant hand, but you could cut down search time and keep your loved one a little bit more safer. Um, so I always find those little nuggets of information. Uh, maybe you'll never have to use it, but I think um, the more education you can get and just those little nuggets of information are just so important. I know that um, a lot of companies do facts and newsletters. Just do a quick read a day. Um, I think knowing those little things can make a huge difference um, when caring for somebody with dementia. Yeah. Well, and even some of the support groups like on Facebook, just uh, talking with others going through it, because so many times I think families feel isolated because they, they can't get out and they, you know, feel that loss of that social connection or people that understand they don't share stories or what's really happening sometimes with other members of the family because they're not seeing it. Maybe because they're not around, maybe because they choose not to, you know. Um, but, um, you know, I, I liked that phrase you use, stitching the conversation together and realizing we all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. And life is constantly changing and, and noting that we are much more alike than we are different when it comes to somebody with dementia. I think that's one of the, one of the biggest problems we have is focusing on, um, our differences instead of focusing on, um, our similarities. And, um, you know, because to me, when we focus on differences, that can build barriers. And, you know, it's kind of that win-lose situation. Somebody's always better. And it's that perfection kind of model versus, um, you know, the one of acceptance that none of us are perfect. And we're all going to screw up. And it's okay. We're, we're, life's going to go on. We're going to move through it. And we just have to adjust. That's, that's what we've done all our life. This is just a different form of adjusting, you know, that we're going through. So I, I like, and I like that you said to, um, you know, just try to get some new information every day. If that's a book, if that's, um, you know, reading some journals or going to, you know, even be a voyeur in a support group. Cause sometimes people like in, uh, you know, on Facebook, they don't want to talk, but they want to just kind of ream those nuggets that are there until they're comfortable enough and feel safe enough. That's okay. Or Definitely. going to a support group or getting a coach. Um, 
You know, you, you mentioned a really good mm-hmm. thing, Lori. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I, go ahead. I just want to jump into, like, I think the support group aspect is so important, too, and there's so many avenues. You see a lot of creative things popping up where there's Skype support groups or pre-recorded support groups mm-hmm. um, that people are going in or chat rooms. Um, so there's so many different avenues for people to be supported. Um, and I would say um, the whole industry really is about giving. So if you talk to anyone that works with dementia, usually they can point you in the right direction. Um, so we tell families, try to, try to get connected with others that you can talk with. I think it's really, really important, um, to get connected. Yeah. And, you know, even, you know, we do the dementia chats where I interview people with dementia. Um, those are great ways to learn some insights because sometimes you can't always talk to your own family member, um, you know, or a loved one who has dementia and they can't always talk to you, you know, because we, we kind of have our, our set little things and our patterns and stuff. And sometimes it's just easier to ask a question to somebody else. And, and get some insights because if we want to believe it or not, we view it different. We take that information in differently from somebody else sometimes. We're kind of like a teenager, you know. We get to that yeah. point where, you know, mom and dad are, you know, as dumb as rocks, but, you know, their best friend has all the wise advice. And and we, we get like that with our families and our friends sometimes. And, and that's okay. That's just part of being human. Um, but realize that there is there is a knowledge base out there and there are people that are willing to share. And again, you are filled with knowledge as well um, that you need to share and um, being able to help somebody else out um, will empower you um, by sharing your information. Now, Joshua, you, you know, I know you've put a lot of um, thought into, you know, what do you think the next, you know, 10 to 15 years are going to look like because, you know, you're knee deep into this. I should say shoulder deep into this uh, industry. You know, you've kind of jumped all in and I know you've got some great insights. So can you share with us what, what can we expect in the next 10 to 15 years? Sure. Um, So one of the crazy things I find is that it's kind of a black hole um, when you look at research because some people are saying there'll be a cure soon. Some people say that there isn't a cure in the next 30 years. Um, you're hearing a lot of research and funding change from um, a cure model to a treatment or prevention model where they're mm-hmm. trying to find how to prevent it. Um, there's really cool stuff that are coming out, even in diet. There's a diet um, that just came out with some great research showing that you may be able to change the trajectory of the disease and even prevent it. Um, that's actually been linked to research through culinary medicine. So it's, it's kind of cool to see all these different um, avenues coming up. Um, and it's kind of unknown of where it's going to go. Um, just recently, I sent out to the team this article that came out that said that uh, they found a possible um, direction that they want to go in with a different type of cure and a different type of medicine. And um, it's really fascinating. What, what I always tell people that I, I love and I'm seeing more and more of is people from other industries are coming into the industry with new per- perspectives. And I say this with complete respect, but um, the past 40 years in, in memory care, it's been a lot of people that just focus in this one bubble and everyone's talking about the same medicines and the same research. But by having uh, more of a participatory model where people from other industries are coming in, we're getting new perspective and new ideas and new ways to try to treat or even cure Alzheimer's disease. So it's it's kind of this, this black hole, but there is opportunity in that black hole because there's so many people jumping in from other industries. 
Um, obviously, I'm sure that you saw it, many others, but even Bill Gates uh, giving all that money towards research can make a really big impact, um, especially when that type of money can be spent not on administrative things, but actually going into the research and supporting the families um, that, that are currently going through this. Um, so I do see a bright future, even though it's kind of um, unknown. Um, but I am hopeful that there, there will be a cure, hopefully within, within my lifetime. Um, and you're starting to see that needle move faster and faster and more people are jumping on the bandwagon with research. Um, so the short answer is it's kind of unknown, but I, I, I do see a lot of opportunity um, to move the field forward. Um, and this sounds a little silly, but uh, being a millennial and seeing a lot of millennials come in too, is for the first time I'm starting to see a lot of younger people wanting to be educated on um, aging neuroscience or dementia or that they've been affected by a loved one. And now their start, a younger crowd is starting to come into play too. So we can be more educated um, uh, beforehand too on preventatives and what we need to do. Uh, there's great research on physical ex uh, exercise and decreasing chances of Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. So knowing those type of things can make a huge impact. So I'm curious to see what, where the flex goes in the industry. Yeah. Well, one of the things, uh, you know, that I've noticed um, it, it just in the last few years is the conversation has really changed or, or started to change from what I call cure to care. Um, yeah. Because we can't cure what we don't even know what we don't even know what causes this disease, you know. And there's so many different forms of it. Um, I don't personally. I don't see how we can come up with a cure when we don't know what the cause is. And then, especially when you look at the U.S. model of trying to, you know, push a drug through even once it's been through trials, you know, it's. Yeah. It, I mean, this is an extensive, extensive. Um, process and I think we've really changed to from kind of a doom and gloom to one of hope um, which to me is a huge shift because um, I think it draws us out of the black hole and it looks for the gifts wrapped within the disease and the lessons that can be learned from it instead of oh woe is oh woe is me and the collaborations that are coming out um, I think are, are absolutely magnificent and you're starting to see I mean, for years, you couldn't get anyone to really look solidly um, or, or and, and you've got a you know, music background, but I mean, even with music therapy, I mean, that was really little was known by the public regarding music therapists and the power of music. Um, and now you're hearing so much about it. You know, little was talked about in terms of, of Medicaid or uh, meditation or exercise or food and they're they're really starting to look at all of these factors and in the importance of social engagement and you know isolation what that does to people um, and so I, I think it's really I think we're in a really exciting time granted I would like the wheels turn in a heck of a lot faster but man you know what the brakes the brakes aren't on anymore and, you know, we're rolling down the hill, up the hill, you know, whichever way we got to go. And you're seeing people scurrying in so many different facets and not being ashamed to talk about what they're, um, what they're trying, you know, understanding that this is kind of a true trial and error. And, you know, we can't move forward if we don't make mistakes, you know, because... Agreed. 
and so I, I, I think it's, I think it's exciting times and I think it's a great time for people to step up and step in um, to this arena um, to help make a difference because just by having a conversation, people are changing, um, you know, the way um, dementia care is going to move forward just by having a conversation. Because for many years, we didn't have a conversation. We didn't include the people with dementia in the conversation. And, and we're seeing big shifts in that now where their voices is, is finally started to be um, uh, noticed and respected. And, and to me, that's just absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, what are you seeing as far as community-based services um, in terms of memory care programming? Um, are you seeing some big shifts out there in that, or is everyone doing the same old, same old out there? I think, um, I think it's actually a really fun time to see, um, see more organizations get more proactive um, mm -hmm. and really being part of community. Um, for example, I know one thing we're really passionate about is including the residents in the hiring of our associates. So uh, bringing them in and actually having them be part of the team that hires for the people that care for them. So now we're putting the people with dementia in control and seeing them as part of the team versus um, the other that we care for you. Mm -hmm. um, and also seeing the amount of police stations and fi uh, fire stations learning about dementia and how to work with people with dementia is pretty profound. Um, I know you have a lot in this realm of getting kind of communities to really um, all advocate for those with dementia and become dementia friendly. Mm -hmm. um, so we're starting to see a lot of those types of things pop up. And I think it's, 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 really, um, it's really impactful to see people um, starting to learn about dementia and how to make the quality of life for those so much better. Um, and I, I am seeing more and more of those things. And just in programming in general, seeing a shift from being at just activities of busy time mm -hmm. to being uh, more of resident engagement where they truly are engaged. And there's a lot of science on telomeres, and I won't talk too much about it. But research is showing that if you stay engaged, those end caps <laughs> in the DNA stay lengthened. And by keeping them lengthened, your body stays healthier. So there is a clear link um, between staying engaged in life and actually changing the, um, the, the physical structures within our body. Um, so it's kind of cool to see that and really keeping people engaged and not just keeping them busy. Um, I, I think there is a big shift in the industry, especially the assisted living industry, about empowering the residents to do as much as possible. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Now we just need to get the surveyors in line. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I would, I would love to see some education going on there. I, I still think we, uh, we're not there. We're, we're educating around the communities, but I, I still think our, our states and our counties need uh, to understand more the daily living impact of the rules and regulations. Um, that structure us. Um, one of the things that saddens me is, you know, I don't see as many hugs giving out because companies are are worried somebody's going to get sued or somebody's going to be inappropriate. And I and I understand that that's a real factor that has to be considered, but yet I know the power of a hug and yeah. what that and can do so for much somebody. Science. Mm -hmm. And there's so much science behind a hug. So when you give a hug to somebody, it actually releases oxytocin in the body and makes people feel differently. It also strengthens connection. 
produces more gray matter in the brain. So it's, it's weird that a, a treatment uh, such as a hug uh, and physical connection when it's appropriate and the resident is willing, um, it, it's pretty fascinating. And I, I know I talk briefly about it in my book, but physical touch is so important. Um, our body has this ripple effect. So if you, if you give a handshake to somebody and don't let go of that handshake, you're automatically grounded to one another. And research shows that somebody with dementia can actually focus on you better if you have that physical connection. Um, so it, I agree with you. Sometimes regulation um, and laws get in the way of for providing really good care. And I think that one way that we can all do this is all sharing our opinion on that, going to conferences and talking to people and talking about the importance of human connection. And um, yes, it has to be fit within a framework, but it also has to have an impact on the person in a positive way. So yeah. I think that all of us healthcare professionals need to start to share more and stand up for really what we believe in in our dementia care. Yeah. Well, and like with the handshake, you know, to me, that's what I call the multi-sensory, you know, connection. And I think we have to be more aware of that. I think we have to document the power of that more so mm -hmm. that, that surveyors and that other staff and family members, you know, we have to share that information, those connections, because that's, uh, that's something really easy that we can incorporate doing if we know it's okay. You know, and um, if we know what signs to look for, we, we overlook the nonverbals so much, I think, because we're so busy checking off our lists. And that goes for, I think, both professionals and families. Um, life is just too fast paced and, and overwhelming. And we need to learn to, to breathe and relax and get recentered um, and use that as a tool, not only for ourselves, but for the person with dementia. You know, you're hearing more about laughter yoga all the time. And again, how that along with, you know, breathing, you know, changes, like you said, the chemistry in our body, um, you know, and, and when someone is sick, I think one of the first things to go is laughter. And yet it's probably one of the most appreciated things that we have in our relationships for most people. And we, we you know, shove it out the window. And uh, so I just think there's so, so much opportunity to learn if we, if we slow down and, again, share um, information. Um, Joshua, I also wanted to ask you, you know, what, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions about dementia? And I know there's a lot of them out there, but what are the biggest ones that you, that you run into? So I always, um, to be honest, I, I always say this when I uh, speak at conferences, and I always have somebody that argues with me on it and um, I'll give a small example of it. So is that somebody with dementia can still learn. Mm -hmm. um, so many people think, Oh no, they're done learning. Um, and I see it every single day. Um, it's for example, if you, if you have somebody with dementia that sits in a seat in an assisted living and they sit in that seat every single day, over time they learn that that is their seat mm -hmm. right there. It just breaks that misconception that it can no longer learn. Mm -hmm. um, I think by um, the foundation of knowing people with dementia can still learn opens so many doors to continue to learn, um, which life is a continuous stream of learning. And I think we need to allow people with dementia to do that. And I, I do, I get emails from people saying, I don't know how you can say people with dementia can learn. And it, it actually it makes my heart heavy because they can learn and I see it all the time. But you may have the, um, very big influencer policymakers that um, have this idea that they can't learn. And that changes the way that um, policy gets written. 
Um, but knowing that somebody that with dementia can learn, and there is research around it that it takes you and I 21 days typically to make a break or learn something new in general psychology, behavioral psychology. And there is more research being pumped out that it takes about 35 days for somebody um, in mid-stages of dementia. So knowing that type of information can be incredibly impactful. So I think breaking those misconceptions, um, and I, I see a lot of people with dementia stepping forward and saying, I have dementia and I'm an active member of society and I can still contribute. And I, um, I always praise those people because I think they're the ones that are getting more people to come out. Mm-hmm. And the policy is starting to change around that. And I, I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, it's just I, one of the things that I, it frustrates me is, is, I think, because people are, have been taught that this disease and dementia in general is a doom or gloom. It's, it's the end stage. There's no going back. And you know what? There's no going back in any part of our life. It's the past. Mm-hmm. There's only forward. And so, you know, I always tell people it, this is just the next stage. It doesn't have to be the last stage. We don't know when the last stage is going to be. We could walk out the door and get hit by a bus. I mean, lots of things can happen to us. It's just, it's another stage of life that we have to learn to adapt to. And granted, no one's going to put this on their wish list of give me dementia. You know, I'm not foolish enough to think that, but there is beautiful life with dementia and beautiful relationships that can be had if we allow that to happen, if we nurture that to happen. Um, but, you know, if, if we're all going to stand around and go, you can't learn, you can't learn, you can't learn. Well, if somebody keeps telling me that, I'm, I'm going to start believing it. You know, and so we have to stop as a society, we have to stop those, those myths. You know, we, we have to stop that stigma and cut it off at the knees and go, no, it, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, because a lot of times, you know, we make, well, with everything in life, I guess we make our own bed. And, um, you know, we can have a nightmare, we can have a great dream. You know, it's kind of up to us on, on what do we want out of life and how do we want to be treated. You know, we could be the next one with this disease. And I think people need to take that question seriously, not to scare them, but to think how would they want to be treated or how would they want their loved one to be treated? I think for most people, they're going to say, well, I would like to be treated with dignity. Well, then we have to start dishing that out. We have to start making that a priority. And I agree, and I love that we're so aligned on this. this um, I've, I've been trying to, um, every once in a while I get into the, the phase of I want to start to um, write again for journals and get things published, and um, this concept has been popping in my mind, and this title keeps popping in my head as uh, Dementia, It's Not My Name. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, it speaks volumes because we, we oftentimes start to lose those names of the people and refer to them as dementia all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can easily change the way we approach them by, by treating them as people. Um, and I love how elegant, elegantly you lay it out that we don't know what phase we are. We are all heading in a direction. We don't know what happens next because it's so true. Yeah, it's, it's just about adapting to the next phase. And if we put it in that light, it's not so heavy. You know, but part of it is changing the words we use, you know, um, moving away from the word caregiver and using care partner or care companion because caregiver, caregiver says, hey, I'm getting drained. I'm giving it all away. 
well, no wonder I'm exhausted, <laughs> you know, but if I'm a care companion or if I'm a care partner, now that puts me in a relationship where I can give and I can receive. You know, our, our words are so powerful or, you know, we, we're so good at um, when somebody has a reaction we don't like, we call it a behavior. Well, who likes to be scolded? I don't think there's, you know, not too many people on this earth like to be scolded. But that's the frame we're putting it in instead of just saying it's a normal reaction for, the, for how they are processing things. And it is a tool for us to figure out what their trigger is because there's discomfort here. And if we would Definitely. look at if we would look at that not just with people with dementia, but with our kids and our teenagers and our colleagues and our partners, whoever it is, instead of wigging out and categorizing it and scolding somebody and saying they're bad and saying something's not right here, and it's way deeper than just this person's reaction. You know, it's it's something has caused that reaction in them, and. Um, what I what I say is that, you know, we all use the same equation. It's our current attitude um, plus our, our past experiences equal our perceptions, and our perceptions trigger our response. And our responses get categorized as a behavior when it doesn't meet somebody else's need. I love that. You bring up um, social construction, and um, I love the idea of um, – th- behaviors truly are a form of communication. And I think there's so many things that we do so wrong as care partners that trigger those behaviors, but there's so many things we can do in our environment to decrease them. So like, for example, um, I don't, have you ever heard of the PJ theory, Lori? No, no, uh uh-uh. Okay. So like, um, there's a lot of research starting to be produced that um, for sundowning, there's uh, hormones and neurotransmitters that get released in the morning or in the evening that our bodies automatically know. You and I can tell time because of that and it fosters circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. For um, somebody with dementia, they can't tell if it's morning or night. This is why they may have sundowning in the evening with behaviors. But one way that we could do a visual trigger is actually by having care partners put on pajamas. That pajama actually starts a visual trigger to release melatonin um, and actually start relaxing the person to foster that circadian rhythm to help them to sleep. So little things that we could change in our environment to actually change and shape the behaviors versus causing those behaviors. So many memory care communities are built where there's dead end. Mm-hmm. Imagine the behavior of somebody wants to get out because they have nowhere, no next step to go. It's not easy flowing. Um, so a lot of the things that we do in our environment cause those behaviors. And I was, I love that you just reiterated uh, Gergen's social construction theory. And I, I love that. So it's really cool. Well, neat. Well, I think, I think we're a lot on the same page. I had a, um, a show a little while ago and um, Gert Benninger was on or Garrett, I should say Benninger. Um, and he's, uh, I want to say, was he in the Netherlands? I should know. Anyways, um, he has a book called Moving On by Standing Still, and he talks about a different view of behavior problems, and it's just a wonderful book. just really helps people, I think, reframe and and get on board with looking at, um, and he talks about looking at behaviors as signals is the the phraseology that that he uses. 
And again, it's just how, how are we going to frame this? And are we going to learn from it? Or are we just going to complain about it? You know, if, I mean, if you want, if you want to complain, you can, but you're probably not going to be very happy because you're going to be focused on that downward spiral versus if you decide you're going to learn, you know, that, that picks you up, you know, that spins you upward, that, that powers your light. Um, it attracts other people to you, you know, that want to learn too. And, and that's how, I don't know, that's how we shift cultures. That's how we change things. Um, so I, to me, it's, it's not, and maybe it's just the way I was brought up, but uh, you know, to me, it's just not a choice. It's just, it just makes sense. You know, do I want to be happy or do I want to be sad? You know, you're only going to find what you're looking for. So, you know, you better choose consciously what you're looking for. And I, um, I tend to talk a lot, so I apologize, but there's, um, I love when you talk about this stuff because we truly are aligned, I feel. Mm -hmm. is, um, there's research from Harvard Medical School that shows even just uh, focusing on one positive thing a day can make a huge impact um, and change the brain through neuroplasticity. So even as a company, um, the company I work for, Certus, every Thursday is Thankful Thursday. I mean, you just write down three positive things and you share it with the team. And that's been culturally changing too. Um, and I've heard of other people helping support caregivers where they have a jar. And sometimes it's so easy to get caught up on all the negative things that every time something positive happens, you just write it down on a piece of paper mm -hmm. and throw it in that jar. And that visual cue shows how many great things are happening. You had a great moment. Um, and keeping track of those moment to moments that are so successful, there's so many positive things that we could look at. Um, so I love that the point of view. Well, and that's something that anybody can do at any age. We could teach our, I mean, we don't teach our kids some of these basic things that can help them survive. I mean, and then pull that jar out when you're having a really crappy day and go, you know what? My life's not as bad as I thought it was. These were some really cool moments, you know, or, or if it's a journal, it, it doesn't make any difference, but um, you know, I think we have to find gratitude even when we're having an awful day, you know, there's, there's still good things that are happening or, um, you know, it might be that, oh, my day is not as bad as that person's day. You know, um, whatever you need to do to frame it, I, I'm a firm believer in, in gratitude. Um, you know, there's so much that we don't know about dementia. Um, what do you think we really need to know or, or should know? Um, so I feel like it's all over depending on which way you approach dementia, but I, I think it's really important for people to know that there's over a hundred different types of dementia and each one of those is treated so differently. Alzheimer's disease might be short-term memory versus Lewy bodies, which may be severe hallucinations. That changes the care partner's perspective on how you care for that person. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, also, I always tell people to, one thing that you should always know is that doctors come with a different perspective too. So I always tell people to get a second opinion. Um, there have been cases where people have had severe depression that has mimicked dementia and been diagnosed with a form of dementia, but come to find out it's just severe depression, which could be treated. Um, so I always say there, there's always more to know. Um, and I, I think what I love is we're starting to get this um, a lot of educated, um, well-versed um, consumers 
that are their mom now has Alzheimer's and they're doing a lot of digging and there's so much free resources online too as mm-hmm. well. Um, so I don't know if that answered the question directly, but I feel like um, if for people to know is if you could walk away with one thing from this radio show is that there's over a hundred different types and you really want to focus in on whatever your loved one has because that can change the way that you care for them. Yeah. And it, and it might change over, over the period too. You know, they might end up Mm -hmm. with a couple or it might flip from one diagnosis to another. Um, That's not uncommon. Um, You know, and you don't hear that with a lot of other diseases where, you know, it's like, well, I thought they said I had this. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's something else. So, um, you know, I have heard, uh, excuse me, (laughs) so many different um, numbers for types of dementia. Where do people even yeah. find out a number? Because I haven't been able to find where we can even find a good number because it doesn't seem like researchers sure. are communicating um, it maybe as well as they should be around the world. Definitely. So you'll see things like, um, I know uh, there's a grid and a picture from the Alzheimer's Foundation of America that says a certain number. And then there's a book called the, the Dementia Handbook that has a certain number. Mm-hmm. What I'm noticing is all of them indicate that there's over 100. So I feel like it's always a safe one to say it's over 100. I've seen mm-hmm. it from 300 different types to 800 different types. So there is a lot of um, a lot of variance, mm-hmm. but it, it seems pretty good that you can say that there's over 100 types or 100 conditions that can cause mm-hmm. dementia. Okay. But really, when you dig down, the most common ones are usually the there's like five common ones and Alzheimer's makes up 70% of all dementia. So that's the most common uh, one that we hear the most about. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, I wanted to, if you have time, I know you've done some work about um, kind of light and layout and and design. Um, Would you have time to chat on that at all? Yeah, I love it. Um, I I spent almost a year studying color and uh, environment for those with dementia, which has been hugely in, insightful. So just let me know where you want me to dig in or jump in. Just, Wherever uh, you want, it'll be good information for us. So. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So uh, there's something called the color theory and knowing that our eyes change over time is really important. So what affects you and I is very different for a senior um, as they age. Um, keeping this in mind, some colors that really come, uh, that stand out for those with dementia is the color lime green. So um, putting different things in the color lime green can decrease behaviors or help them be able to see things or even knowing like a red plate will increase um, appetite. Um, For somebody that's overeating, um, which sometimes they get in a behavior where they say, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, which is Mm -hmm. a brimming mechanism. They may not be hungry, but knowing a dark blue plate will actually suppress appetite is one way to manage that. And it's just changing out the color of a plate. Um, Knowing that white is the hardest color to see. So when you look out your window and you have mini blinds, the mm-hmm. problem with that is that you have a blue sky and white mini blinds. That actually just looks like a white veil and they can't see outside. So mm-hmm. for a geriatric population, even without dementia, you want to pull up that mini blind so that people can actually see out that window or have color contrast. So maybe a brown um, mini blind and a blue sky so that they can see that contrast back and forth. Um, and black is one of the more scarier colors. Um, Oftentimes, it can be perceived as a, a hole in the ground. So um, you'll see people tiptoe or try to jump over it. So in communities trying to avoid um, that color, 
Um, also, there's some um, research showing that it creates a shadowing effect. Mm-hmm. So if you have a caregiver or a care partner that has black pants on, uh, somebody with dementia may be more res- resistant to care. Um, so trying to change that color to a lighter color that isn't perceived as a shadow or a hole can um, really help with care. So things in our environment, even the rug, um, making sure it's not too busy. Um, a lot of people in the industry have seen this firsthand where you have an architect that doesn't know dementia and they build a community and they put these rugs with these elaborate designs that are beautiful, but then you have people getting on their, their hands and knees trying to pick stuff up mm-hmm. um, that have dementia because they think marble's built or something's on the floor. Um, so design is really fascinating and um, giving people autonomy is really important. So I always tell any architect, if you're creating a community, make sure that there's not dead ends because um, they're not going to know what's next, but also a place where they don't feel like they're locked in. So uh, for example, um, where I work, we have something called our town center where we have the movie theater and the post office where it's going to be a, a social destination where people can come to. Um, so really creating that autonomy where they feel that they're not in a, a secured community um, and also having opportunities outside of those walls. Um, for light, for example, uh, research is showing that um, different types of light are really important. So having artificial light, having uh, uh, illuminant light, which isn't direct lighting, and then also having natural light is important. Um, I was just at a conference that somebody was talking about even the inner parts of the light. When you look up at a light that's a, a can light, it can hurt a senior's eyes. So making sure that it doesn't have that tin, um, that tin color inside, make sure it's like a, a white color or a black color so that it doesn't hurt their eyes. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot to learn about uh, environmental design. Sorry for throwing so much at you at once. <laughs> no, no, um, I think it's fascinating. And I've never heard anybody um, say anything like with the pants. I never thought about the color of, of what somebody was wearing before. Um, you know, to because I've known a lot of the things you said about um, color and design in terms of a, a community or, you know, a home. But um, I, I, that's very interesting. That's easy enough to change. You know, it's, yeah. uh, I, I think of the old nursing homes when they used to like roll the carpet up the walls and then people would, you know, crash into the walls because they didn't know it was going up the wall. It, they thought it was still extended floor. I mean, so many different, different things change as we age and then you throw dementia into it and, you know, complicates things um, significantly. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Colin Mc. McDonald, he's over in the UK. He's done some cool things with uh, some light studies in communities. In fact, he's just yeah. opening up another um, community over there. Um, I'm going to have him. On, we're trying to coordinate having him on the show to kind of talk about uh, some of the things he's working on over there. So, well, I just awesome. um, so appreciate your time, Joshua, and and your your willingness and ability to share with us in in common language you know you're not talking over our head I mean we can all tell you're very knowledgeable um, and yet you know our, our listeners and myself can understand exactly what it is you're saying um, you're not you're not speaking in in medical terms or researcher terms and uh, that is I think I, I, that's a skill because not everybody can do that not everybody can get it in that format and translate it uh, to where you know the average Joe can can understand it, and I think that that's a 
um, a wonderful skill that you have. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's definitely going to have an impact on a lot of people. We've covered a lot of ground in this uh, conversation today, and I, I could talk to you all day, just like I could, you know, your, your pals at Certus Senior Living. Um, why don't you go ahead and, and give a plug for when that's going to be opening and, and how that's different? Sure. Um, so the great opportunity that we've had is um, the team I work with has been able to build a community from ground up. And really um, giving that autonomy and the color theories uh, that we spoke about a little bit. But our first one's opening here um, in uh, Mount Dora uh, between um, uh, March and April. And it's going to be really impactful. We have the same design and we'll be building multiple of those around central um, central Florida. So it's an awesome opportunity. And to see them starting to put the roof on and walking through, start to get those, uh, those butterflies in your stomach that you know it's going to make a huge impact in the lives of so many people. Um, so that's my little plug. But it's, um, and I would love to say it was, um, it was a collaborative effort, like you said, and I think it's so important to reinforce that as the team I work with, everyone giving feedback and changing and working with an architect team that really understands it as well has been uh, it's been really awesome, um, a life-changing experience for me, and I, I hope it's a life-changing product for um, the industry. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Now, for people to get a hold of you, they can go to certusseniorliving.com, and that's C-E-R-T-U-S, seniorliving.com, or they can um, email you as well at J. And then his last name is F R E I T A S, and that's J for Joshua F R T. I'm sorry, F R E I T A S at certusliving.com. Well, again, can't thank you enough and would really encourage people to um, to go out and get his book, The Dementia Concept. And can they get that on Amazon then? Or what's the best uh, route for them? To yeah, Amazon, some Barnes and Nobles and um, some Walmart carried as well. Um, and I appreciate it. There's so much research out there. So if anyone has questions, feel free to email me. I love to get feedback and um, I'll chat with anybody I can. So I appreciate it. Okay, great. Say, before I let you go, can I have you just highlight one thing uh, you have in the book about, um, you know, um, remind routine and reward. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. So in uh, uh, behavioral science, there's, um, if you remind somebody to do something and routinely do it and they get a reward, it's really important. So Research is starting to indicate it's about 35 days for somebody with dementia to learn something new. So say it's brushing your teeth, it's reminding the person to do that, routinely doing it for about that 35-day mark, making sure that it's consistent. Um, and then what you notice is the routine is that that person with dementia that might have lost the ability to brush their own teeth or take a shower by themselves, they start to pick up those skills again. So um, remember that people with dementia can still learn and they can still change or shape the way the new things that they learn. Um, and they can also pick up some things too as well. So um, that's what that, that three cycle phase is. Um, it's to help them develop the new skills and it's a neurological sequence that creates um, through the default mode network that allows them to pick up those skills again. So it's, it's a really cool opportunity um, for people to know. 
Wonderful. Well, again, Joshua, I, I thank you so much for your time. And I would love to have you back when you um, finish your other book um, that'll help uh, young adults and um, children uh, learn how to deal with dementia as well. Um, and also to talk about sort uh, uh, of senior living and how things are going down there and how, you know, how you're different and how you are um, making an impact. Cause I, I, I know you will make a big impact. Your team is very powerful and uh, on a mission. I can, I can feel it at a heart level. And so that's, that's really fun to see. And uh to uh to be part of so again thank you so much really appreciate your time today thanks Lori. i appreciate your time too as well okay um before wrapping up i just want to give a shout out again to um, my team that was on our dementia friendly cruise uh to the caribbean um we had uh, Cindy Lazinski in Colorado, Becky Watson, who is a music therapist, uh, Harry Urban, Mary um, Reed, Michael Ellenbogen, and Lori Shear, all living with dementia. They were absolutely fantastic and, um, you know, really made such a difference in, in the programming. I couldn't have asked for for a better team. We will be doing some dementia-friendly travel uh, in the future under the name of Dementia-Friendly Travel with Lori LeBay or Dementia-Friendly Travel uh, with Alzheimer's Speaks. Uh, just so um, you know, uh, keep your eyes peeled on that. We'll be making some announcements there. In the meantime, it is the holiday season, so wishing you all a brilliant uh, end of the year and an absolutely fabulous New Year's. Take care now, everyone. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.